0: So all we're doing is that instead of controlling based on pressure, we are controlling based on the load we see at the shaft. And the way we do this then is that we program the pump curve into the controller. So it now has a map of what it can do.
1: The professional's choice. All right, guys. So Master Group gave me a Vito Pro Pack Tech Pack. That's the backpack to try out. Now, what I did was I took my my Vito Tech MCT, took all the tools out of it. Well, I weighed it first, okay? I weighed it first. It was roughly 27 pounds. All right. Then I took all my tools out and I put it into the Tech Pack. And I added a couple of more because I bought a couple of um, where a tools, but actually I bought the, uh, those adjustable spanners that everybody's been talking about. So I wanted to try them out. So I loaded up the tech pack and weighed it. And it was, I think it was 37 pounds, six ounces, some, something in that range. So it was, it was heavier, heavier, obviously, because it's a heavier bag to begin with. And I added a couple of extra tools, but what I was thinking was with a backpack, You're distributing the weight across your shoulders not just on one shoulder distributing the weight across your hips and your legs all right this was what i i I thought i would try out and when you put the backpack on yes you can feel a difference uh because that weight distribution is not 27 pounds on one shoulder it was 34 uh in a bit pounds spread across the entire back heavier yes but the weight distribution is there. And, and I posted a little video on social media. A lot of people are saying they, they really love that bag. Anyway, thank you to the Master Group for sponsoring the podcast. Check out master.ca. And if you guys are in the market for a Vito Pro Pack bag, they got tons of them. Let's get to the podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the HVAC Know It All podcast. It's funny because I rarely am ever home alone. Today... I'm home alone. It's crazy. Uh, everybody's out. Um, multitasking here. I'm doing laundry. Uh, we got a bin in our in our driveway here, a big bin because we're getting rid of. We are purging. We are purging a lot of stuff that's accumulated over the years from the kids and whatnot. But it's giving me a chance to get this podcast done. And we have a we have a great guest, Andre Harry from Armstrong. We're going to talk about optimized chiller plants versus automated chiller plants and. PID loops, sensorless pump control, the fundamentals of sort of design, like fluid dynamics, heat transfer, thermodynamics. Did you know that there's a difference between heat transfer and thermodynamics? Well, that's going to be explained in this podcast. So guys, stay tuned. This is a great episode. Andre, very smart guy, is going to take us down the path of chiller plant optimization and just optimization in general. It's a very cool conversation. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, guys. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Hey, Andre. What's going on, man? How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, Pleasure uh, talking to you here today, Gary.
1: Yeah, um, I've been waiting for this and we talked like, what, three weeks ago. And then, you know, it's funny, Tony was on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and and we did some commissioning chats. And afterwards, he said, uh, what are you and Andre going to talk about? And I'm like, you know what? Good question. I totally forget. <laughs> Good question. And then that's why I emailed you the other day. I'm like, what are we talking about again on the podcast? And um, can you remind me? So um, I think we have something cool to talk about and I don't think we've really talked about this on the podcast at all. So I'm glad you're here, man.
0: Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this because um, I've been in this industry um, while I've been with Armstrong, Uh, Combined over close to 20 years. Um, I started with them when I graduated from Ryerson back in the early 90s, and then I left for a period of time. And then there was an industrial water and wastewater pumping, and then I came back uh, 13 years ago. So for the last 13 years, um, I've been focusing on not only the pumping side, but uh, a lot of the, the controls um, that Armstrong has brought to the marketplace, more specifically uh, in terms of chilled water and boiler plant um, optimization strategies. And so uh, when you ask, what are we going to talk about? And, you know, one of the things that uh, I see in the market is there's a big misunderstanding of what an automated plant is, uh and what an optimized plant is so this is an opportunity to kind of get that message out there to show that that there is a difference in terms of not only the the control strategy but how it's done so i'm looking forward to this
1: all right so we talked about sort of your brief background and you mentioned automated versus optimized chiller plants so if we can break those two down um, so we can get a difference of each one and sort of understand which each, each one means, that would be great. Okay.
0: So if um, standard controls in buildings today are usually predicated on what are referred to as PID loops. So proportional integral derivative, but what all that means is um, it's a set point control, so we have. It, and now we'll, we'll focus on the pump side first of all, but with pumps and variable speed, what we have is a pump, a drive, and a differential pressure switch, remote located somewhere remotely within the system. And what that DP sensor does is it senses a differential. Um, Pressure when a valve opens or closes in a fan coil. When that DP sensor goes away from its set point, which is a zero setting, Mm -hmm. it, it sends a signal to the drive to either speed up or slow down. Gotcha. Now, all that drive is doing is then speeding the pump motor up or slowing it down, but it doesn't know where it needs to go. All it needs, all it knows is that. When the set point is back at zero, then we have reset the system and we're at an equilibrium again.
1: So but when you say zero, do you mean zero pressure across the pump? Like, how are, no, what do you I, mean by I, zero?
0: A, a zero setting on the differential pressure uh, switch. So that the best way to describe it is that that differential pressure switch is a diaphragm. Mm-hmm. and there 's a pressure on one side, and there 's a pressure on the other side yep. and When one side is greater than the other, it moves from an offset a negative or a po- or to a positive offset and so now we have to move it back so that means we have to either increase pressure or flow to increase pressure or decrease it okay. so that 's typically um, how systems work, but so all it means is that we 're predicated on measuring the pressure in the system and then speeding equipment up or down to get it back to an equilibrium. But it's a very rudimentary control strategy. And that's typically what we do today. And so, and so now... Can I, can sorry, I ask you ahead. a
1: question? Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to ask yeah. you. So if, if we have on, on the discharge side of the pump, if we had um, some valves close off, we would um, obviously that pressure would start to rise on the discharge because we're sort of because we're ca- kind of we got that that back feed of that pressure. So, would we be slowing the pump down at that point? So,
0: typically, well, now if you have a variable frequency drive with that pump, yes, the the intent would be that you're going to the DP sensor would see that a valve is closing, it would sense that there's a pressure change so that the pump is riding up the curve. So there's more, we, there's more resistance in the system because that valve is closing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what that is, that's an indication of we need to slow the pump down. So gotcha. now we're that's starting true. to slow the pump down and that's what that DP sensor does. And that's how a, a, a typical system works. Now, you know, uh, it, it, if we were in front of um, um, a computer, then I could show you, uh, like on a chart, what, what that also means in terms of it moves to the left of the curve, which it means it's riding up on its speed line, and so we have to slow it down. Um, but it, um, the end result here is that it's all responsive, um, and, and that's how automated, t- automated systems typically work is that we always try to get our equipment back to a set point, but it's all predicated on speed control, speeding up or slowing down. Okay. Like the the pump really doesn't know where it has to go other than it needs to slow down until that DP sensor says I'm back at my zero point and everything is back at equilibrium. Gotcha.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, the next question would be, so what's optimization? That's right. And, and optimization is that next step in our industry. And what it means is when we optimize a plant, we're no longer going to through a set point control strategy with, 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 uh, with differential pressure switches and speed-based control. What automation does is that the equipment knows where to operate based on the load in the system. And automation then is algorithmic control
1: basically. Do you when you so, say load, when you say load, do you mean heat load?
0: It could be the in in a typical in a chilled water system, the the load would be what is the flow we require or the heat load? Yeah.
1: Okay. All right.
0: So, but it, it if we kind of like oversimplify it, what we've done, um, if you look at a pump, uh, a pump is predicated operates based on the affinity laws, right? Um, and those are, you know, the relationships between Flow, head, pump speed, impeller diameter, and brake horsepower. Those are the five variables that define a pump's operation. All right. In the traditional system with an automated uh, uh, um, uh, control strategy, all we're doing is that we're controlling based on a differential pressure switch and then we adjust the speed okay when we optimize a plant or a pumping strategy what we've now done is we use the equations that define a pump's operation and we 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 take certain measurements and then we uh, we Based on those changes in those measurements, we know where to run the equipment because the equipment is now defined by an
1: equation. Gotcha. Is the best way of describing it. So, um, so we rely on math and optimize chiller plants. Is what you're saying. We
0: have, we. That's basically
1: it. It's okay. like I've always said: if you understand the
0: math and the relationships, that's where optimization comes into play. You know, taking it outside of this conversation, an industry that uses optimization um, all the time um, is the automotive industry. Uh, The best analogy is that um, if if you look at a at an, an an engine in a car today, it's a it's got an engine management system in there. It's got a computer. It's got a chip, and that chip uh defines the operation of that engine and and what they've done in that ship is they will set the timing throttle response uh change points in the transmission but everything has been mapped out and now you think about it you can buy um a, a two liter turbo uh, Audi engine that comes from the factory with 225 horsepower and strict simply by changing the chip you can get 325 horsepower without doing anything mechanically different to that engine interesting and so if you if you take it in that concept you know The automotive industry and a car engine is based on mechanical principles and thermodynamics. Our industry, HVAC, is predicated on three fundamentals or principles that I would always refer to, and that's fluid dynamics, heat transfer, and thermodynamics. That's all we – and if if you understand those laws – And the math that applies to that, you can define any chiller plant as a mathematical equation. And ultimately, then, once you've laid it out as a mathematical equation, what we are doing in our industry is we are either taking a heat load from inside a box, the building, and discharging it to atmosphere outside, or we are trying to put heat into that box. So it's either chiller, um, um, we're either doing cooling or we're doing heating. But the end of the day, we're we're moving thermal energy from uh, uh, a low potential to a high or reverse. And so once you define it as an equation, And then you know the equipment that you're using, and each piece of equipment has uh, a performance characteristic associated with it. So, based on loads, it'll have different levels of efficiency. You take that information, and you can map it all out. That then you can define where to where is the best place to operate. All of your equipment, that being your pumps, your, your chillers, your condenser water pumps, and your cooling towers, based on the load that you're trying to dissipate. And so basically, that's where optimization comes into play. And, you know, so at the end of the day, I always say it's understanding the math.
1: All right, guys, so refrigeration technology is nylog white. It's for hydronic stuff, not for refrigerant stuff, and I've been testing it here and there. I tried it on a drain last week, or the week prior, I believe, and it worked out really well. Uh, You know, like you see bunched up T-tape, ripped T-tape, and it doesn't really look all that professional a lot of the time, so we took the T-tape off as we were cleaning out these drain traps and applied nylog white in its place, put the the P-traps back on, wiped away, the the access right the the build up that kind of as you're as you're threading it back on you sort of get that build up just wipe it away after it looks super professional it really does so check it out for hydronic stuff not for refrigerant stuff navac they don't make every type of tubing tool that you're going to need in this industry but what they do have is incredible their cutters are awesome uh their hydraulic swage kit is phenomenal and they have a couple of battery-powered flaring tools. They got that, the first generation that came out, which was a little bulkier, more expensive, but now they have the smaller version of that. So go to navatglobal.com, check that stuff out, because it is industry-changing, innovative stuff that they're coming out with. They're very innovative company, so check out their tubing tools. Testo, man, the 550i with no display. It's baffling a lot of people, but people are saying, man, I want that, I wanna try that. The 550S, the 557S are industry-changing manifolds, in my opinion. They're sleek, they're rugged, they have um, everything you need on the one screen. Wireless temp clamps, so you don't have to plug in the, the wires anymore into the side of your gauges. Very, very cool design, and I've been loving them so far. If you guys are in the market, I mean, check them out. Obviously, all that stuff at True Tech Tools, 8% off with promo code A um, Couple apps. The Blue On app. The Blue On app has a ton of manuals on it. Uh, 24-7 tech support, two-minute wait time. And you guys have seen Mike and Brian, their their buckle-up series if, if you follow me on social media. Them bantering, they're entertaining, they banter back and forth uh, with the audience about questions that the audience is asking and they do a really good job entertaining and also educating as well and the other app guys hvac know it all app that's my app that i sort of launched for the industry to have a community where we get away from trolling we get away from bs and because of that because i'm not a a big corporation that sells and manufactures products to, to make an income. I had to put a small fee on that. That small fee is to cover, obviously, the cost of running the app. And it's also to prevent trolling because what troll is going to enter an app, pay the the $10 US or the $13 Canadian a year, it's a very small fee, to lose their money the first time they create BS negativity or, or start to troll in the app. There's nobody that in their right mind that would throw away that money to do so so that those are the two reasons why the cost is there and there are uh, almost 2800 downloads so far in about five weeks and the professionalism is incredible and it's going really really well so hvac know it all app check it out and also check out the blue on app So you mentioned three things there: fluid dynamic, heat transfer, and thermal dynamics dynamics do you mind, yeah, do you mind just touching on each one and the differences between them because heat transfer to me, I always thought was the same as like thermodynamics, but if if there's a difference, Sarah, I would like to know exactly what um, what what it is okay so um
0: it, this is really at a at a high level uh, but uh so, okay, fluid dynamics is understanding um, the movement of fluid through a system, right? Okay, yep. So, uh, on the pumping side, we rely on an, a fundamental understanding of, of uh, the affinity laws for defining a pump's operation, and then doing piping networks and understanding the resistance of, of flow through a piping network. At the same time, we apply fluid dynamics because the affinity laws or the fan laws are basically the same. So it's understanding airflow as well. So that's, that is the movement of, of, of a fluid through, um, through a system. Heat transfer or thermodynamics is basically the heat transfer side. Okay. So... Where do we have heat transfer surfaces? Well, the fan coil in the air handling unit, that's a heat transfer surface. Basically, you have air going over through the fan coil and you have water on the other side. The heat transfer is occurring between the thermal energy on the outside of the fan coil wall and the and the, the fluid on the inside. So that's where heat transfer is. Thermodynamics is the movement of that energy through the system Um, and also applies to the understanding of fluids and phase changes. So uh, um, uh, fluids, phase changes, and then understanding the difference between sensible heat and latent heat. So all of those, understanding all of those principles combined ultimately gives you the understanding of how you're going to optimize a system. It's understanding the math and where to operate the equipment then.
1: Um, Gotcha. Yeah. No, actually what you said there for heat transfer and thermodynamics makes sense now like the the, therm- the, the heat transfer is happening directly at the coil for instance if we're talking about like an ac system or whatever is happening right there and the thermodynamics is actually moving that energy to a different place right sort of in a basic that's term. right okay that's
0: exactly it okay. and then under you know and going into that the other portion that i always uh, um for people that are outside of the hvac industry um have you ever been challenged uh, in explaining how a heat pump works?
1: Um, um, yeah, I've. I mean, sure. I just. I just say, yeah, <laughs> it's an air conditioning system in reverse.
0: <laughs> so you know, I've. i I've, I've got a heat pump um, um, at a, uh, my place up um, in the northern part of Ontario, um, and um, I sometimes struggle to explain to my friends the fact that my heat pump is heating my house when it's um, minus six degrees celsius outside yeah and they're like well what do you mean it's heating it's minus six like where is the heat coming from and everybody thinks that you require uh, and so this is the other portion of thermodynamics and, and and physics and science but we need an exothermic Reaction, i.e., we need to burn something to generate heat, and that's what everybody's mentality is, especially, you know, uh, in today's society when we're looking at boilers for um, for for heating systems. But when you explain to them that when a when a fluid goes through a phase change, you're either releasing energy or capturing energy, that's where you're getting those btus or that energy release so you know it, it comes down to the refrigerants and i know we're going off topic a bit, no no but no, no it's,
1: it's, it's a good discussion actually and i'll throw in sort of what i learn in, in the most basic level when you're done
0: yeah so like you know when you've got a refrigerant but that the boiling point of that refrigerant is at minus uh 10 degrees celsius that means when that refrigerant goes through that phase change, that's where we're getting that heat. That's where we're getting that exchange or that release of energy. And, and so it now it comes down to, and this is where the whole aspect of understanding controls and optimizing is that um it, it in today's technology, we're, we're not we can't slowly depend on set point controls anymore because we've got to understand where to operate the equipment um, based on ambient temperatures and where, you know, and at what pressures they're operating on in and, and combining that information. If you can map all that out, you're not hunting on how to operate it, you know. If this is the amount of BTUs I need to put in this building, this is the ambient temperature outside, this is where I can operate my equipment most efficiently, and I will get that energy uh, produced to heat the room. That's where optimization and a different control strategy, which uh, would also be referred to as feet feet forward controls, comes into play. And that's where our industry is going uh, um, today.
1: I want to ask you about feet forward controls in a second. Uh, but going back to the heat pump thing, when, when I sort of learned about heat pumps, I remember my instructor telling me like there's, even though it's below zero or below 32 or below freezing, I should say to make it, um, sort of for, for all of us around the globe, below freezing is something we can all relate to. There's always heat in the air. There's always heat there to grab and there's always heat to absorb, um, in a heat pump situation, and until we get down to like absolute zero, and when, when everything just kind of stops, right? That's 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 right. the way I learned it in the most basic, simple terms.
0: Yeah, you're spot on. That's right. There, there is no such thing as cold. There is only uh, different potentials, so different <laughs> levels of heat. There,
1: there's a lot so. of memes out there on on the internet <laughs> yeah. with with uh, a husband uh, that's in HVAC talking to his wife, and his wife's mad at him because he's telling her she's saying it's cold in here, and he's saying no honey, there's no such thing as cold. (laughs) It's an absence of heat.
0: (laughs) That's exactly. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's so, you know, I've got my wife and my, my kids. And every time I start talking about this, uh, you know, I, I get people's eyes glossing over and I go, Hey, but this is what puts food on the table. Um, understanding this stuff. So, and, and, uh, the, one of the easiest ways for me uh, to understand, um, uh, y- you know, that 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 heat thing, and that's where latent and sensible heat comes into play, is uh, I go back to my steam tables um, in university. And if you remember, if you look at your steam tables and at atmosphere, um, you know, the boiling point of water um, is one hundred and twenty degrees Fahrenheit, but If you put that water at a negative pressure, that boiling point starts to drop down. So the temperature becomes low, but the energy, the potential energy released is still there because it's opening. It's it's that when that water goes from a phase change from, from uh, liquid uh, to gas, You've released energy, and when it goes from gas back to liquid, you've captured energy. So that's where the your the feeling that we have around us that's where the energy goes from one potential to another, and that's where it goes from a high heat to a lower heat, or from hot to cold. So,
1: so you yeah. you said when a when a liquid goes from sorry when it goes from a, a gas to a liquid, we're capturing heat. Is that what you just said? Sorry, I I kind of just missed you there. So.
0: So when when a liquid when when something uh, when it when a fluid goes sorry when a fluid goes through a phase change Mm -hmm. so it goes from gaseous or vapor to liquid, we are capturing energy. Okay. Right? Because the molecules are binding together. So the potential goes down. And so, and what happens when you go from a liquid to a solid? You're capturing more energy. It's going to a lower potential, right? So, in, in our industry, we use water most of the time. So, from, from vapor to liquid, there's a phase change and there's, there's that latent energy that's there, there, that that is captured. And when we go from liquid to solid, from from liquid to ice, more of that energy is captured, right? So liquid can only go down to just above zero degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. But when it goes beyond zero degrees Celsius, it becomes a solid state, right? And what happens is basically – when you go to that solid state, all those molecules are binding. And that's energy that's being captured in there. That's the physics of all of this. So, uh, you know, and it, and so, and then if so we that's go, the thermodynamics. Sorry.
1: Sorry, I was just going to, before we move on, and then if we go from a liquid to a gas, we're not capturing, we are releasing
0: heat. We're releasing energy. Liquid we're releasing a, heat. Liquid yeah. to
1: a gas, we're releasing heat. Okay, perfect.
0: Awesome. So.
1: I've never heard it so explained ne- like that before, so I just wanted to make sure that I, I captured it right.
0: Yeah, and and, and so it, and this is kind of neat because like, I like I always there's that's that's the thermodynamic side of 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 HVAC. So now, if you if you look at our industry and the refrigerants that are being developed, um, it, um. Uh, for, uh, for chillers um, and for heat pumps, those refrigerants, basically they have different thermodynamic properties in that their boiling points um, uh, are different from water. So they will have a lower boiling point. And the end result is that's why a heat pump will heat a house at minus five degrees Celsius um, uh, because uh, the, the refrigerant has a different boiling point than water does. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's, um, that's the concept there. And then if you're looking at the, the control side of it now, once you understand how all these fluids work and how the systems work, you can define your entire building plant as an equation. And it comes back to if you know what the load is, um, and you know what the outside air ambient temperature is. You can define where to operate your equipment um, at that time. Je- basically, generating the lowest kilowatts per tonnage required.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this this is all this is all stuff that I don't <laughs> during my day at work. I, I don't ever ever think about so. This is this is great to have these sort of conversations. So yeah. we, were, we were talking about like the forward feet control earlier. Like what what is that? That that seems interesting. So
0: um, uh, feed forward control is just a, a, another term for uh, for optimization, and what it means is that um, instead of hunting for set point. We know where to operate the equipment based on on uh, um, on demand or the, the load, and the the way this is achieved is that we typically um, we will uh, map a piece of equipment's performance, and so when when we have load changes we look at that map and we say okay if this is the load this is the btus we require and this is the tonnage we look at that map and we say this is where we need to operate our equipment and so that's the that's what feed forward is is that instead of always looking at a set point and adjusting to get back to where we need to be. As soon as there's a change, we know where to operate our equipment because it's been predetermined. And that's what feed forward is all about.
1: I, I think I might have called it feet because I'm, feet I yeah, I, I think I might've said feet by accident. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- thanks for correcting me. So yeah, that that that's interesting. So something that you had sent over to me as well was something that I think we should talk about because you were talking about um, in the beginning, automated control and how we're, we're using Delta P and obviously we, not, we have to use some sort of um, device to do that. But then there's a, a bullet point here of sensorless pump control. Like what exactly is that and how does that work?
0: So, um, the best way of describing it is that um, you remember. I, and I always go back to I always go back to the fundamentals, the affinity laws. Right? Mm-hmm. There are five variables that define a pump's operation. Those being flow, head, pump speed, impeller diameter, and brake horsepower. Now in a traditional typical building system in variable speed we use a differential pressure switch and the signal from that switch to adjust the the speed of the pump to adjust the flow what sensorless is all about is that it's the it's the pump being able to control itself without the requirement of a differential pressure switch. And so basically all we're doing is that we are controlling the pump to a different variable. And, and in in uh, with sensorless control, what we're doing is that instead of controlling the pump to the pressure signal, we're controlling it to uh, a brake horsepower or a power change. And so this is kind of hard to, uh, um, to do over a podcast, but I'll try try my best in explaining it. But, um, typically in, in, in our, in HVAC, we use centrifugal pumps for our applications
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and with centrifugal pumps, the motors that we use uh, with these pumps are referred to as variable torque motors. so what that means is that that motor will only do the work required based on the load it sees on the shaft okay so if if I had um, a 10 horsepower motor and everybody always sees that so I have a 10 horsepower motor, and on the nameplate, you'll have a full load amp rating
1: mm-hmm.
0: for that, okay? So just to make this simple, uh, and we're going to use this as a linear relationship to simplify it, but if I had a 10-horsepower motor and it had to do 10-horsepower worth of work, it would be drawing 10 amps. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that full load amps is 10. So so full load amps is 10 amps. It's got to do 10 horsepower worth of work. It's going to draw 10 amps. Now, if I have that 10 horsepower motor, but it is only doing 5 horsepower worth of work, it's only going to draw 5 amps. So it is only going to draw the power required to do the work it sees. And the work it's doing is torque. It's spinning. So it sees that there is a a load on the shaft and it needs to overcome that load to do the work. Now, it will never do more work than what it sees on the shaft. That's all the torque it's going to generate because it can't over torque. Now, in our industry, we put an impeller at the end of that shaft, okay? Yep. So that impeller, basically, it's creating head pressure, but it is only creating the head pressure based on the speed it's operating at and the load it's seeing in the system. So if all the valves were open and you, it would, if all the valves were open and your total uh, head at full flow was, uh, was a hundred feet, it would generate a hundred feet, mm-hmm. right? When a valve starts closing, that means that it's changing the head pressure in the system. Now the pump, also sees that if that change is occurring the amount of work the impeller is doing is going to change as well the torque that the motor has to generate is changing so all we're doing is that instead of controlling based on pressure we are controlling based on the load we see at the shaft and the way we do this then is that we program the pump curve into the controller. So it now has a map of what it can do. So we plot a flow, um, flow, to, um, flow to head at different speeds um, and flow to power at different speeds and then we define what the where it needs to operate we give it a line of operation uh, uh, which is the, the system curve and the pump says okay i need to let, i need to operate on this system curve at all times so when a valve opens and it moves the pump starts moving off of the system curve the controller says hey my map says you've moved off of the system curve. You need to be at this speed. Now it readjusts and comes back down onto the system curve. And that's basically sensorless control without, uh, describing it without, um, a whiteboard in front of us.
1: Gotcha. So all it
0: is, is it's controlling to a different variable. That's all it is. And, And, and that's the beauty of it is the logic side of it. Um, uh, uh, that's available to us
1: now. That's that's, um, w- that's wild.
0: Yeah, it 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 really is, and um, you know, um, I've I've done um, projects. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Kansas State University over in Manhattan, Kansas um, has the, these pumps um, in their central plant and across their entire campus. Um, the, the central plant has got three 350 horsepower uh, um, uh, sensorless pumps um, running their, their central loop and um, and then uh, tied in with their controls it's phenomenal because now with because all that data is programmed directly um, into the controller, the pump also acts as a flow meter. And so by having that flow information, it's a lot easier to actually determine where you're operating in terms of your entire system, because you have, you're looking at a flow value, not a speed value and not a pressure value anymore. That data is right there for you. So,
1: Yeah. This analytical world we live in is, it's something else, eh? To take all this information these days and, and just, and, and make decisions with, with that math. It's, 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 it's kind of like, uh, it almost like warps my mind when I think about it. (laughs) It really does like the, the in-depth, uh, work and like just, just the legwork that goes into creating something like this. It just blows my mind.
0: You know, um, it was funny when, uh, when this technology, uh, first or first started coming around, um, um, it was in the last, it was about the last 13 to 15 years. And it was around the time that I had moved, um, from, uh, uh, from the municipal side and water and wastewater, uh, to Armstrong. Um, and it was interesting because, uh, the first time they presented it to me, it was like, oh my God, I, this is how I was diagnosing pump problems. Um, Uh, before we had this control strategy, I would come into a sewage treatment plant sometimes and I'd be lucky to have a pressure gauge there. And we try to determine where the pump was operating on the curve. And the only way you could do it was to take the amp readings from the motor and then uh, guesstimate approximately what the brake horsepower was. um, And then look at your pump curves and figure out what the flow was with the pressure gauge and, uh, um, and, and the speed in the, and the, uh, and the brake horsepower. And today, now we just map all of that information in there and it's there. And and it's like I was saying earlier um, um, in this, uh, in this podcast, the automotive industry has been doing this for the last, um, you know, over 30 years, like uh, in 19, in the 1984, I had a Mustang five liter with a carburetor and, uh, and a distributor cap. And, and today, um, you know, I, I don't even open up the hood. My son's a service tech at Audi. And I say, I'm not looking at this. It's, it's all, you know, the the block is under there somewhere, but it, it, it's the, um, um, it's, it's math principles that are defining the operation of the car.
1: That's, That's crazy. Yeah, it is. So I have I have a couple of questions for you before we head out. So you've mentioned brake horsepower numerous times. Can you sort of explain brake horsepower just in, in a real simplified term or way? Sorry.
0: Okay. So brake horsepower um, is the is the is the horsepower required by the pump to at at certain loads um, and certain speeds, uh, to move the fluid through the system. So, um, it's a measurement of, 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 power, um, on the pump side. Okay. And, uh, and, and so the other thing is that it, it it's also a function, um, the amount of brake horsepower required is also a function of the, uh, of the pump's uh, uh, hydraulic efficiency as well, so and that, but that's brake horsepower basically.
1: Yeah, so this, this, see, conversations like this is is great because, like, the word brake horsepower, I probably haven't even heard that term in in in, in a couple of years, or I, I don't know when the last term, time I heard the the term brake horsepower. So. When, when you speak like this, it reminds me all of my, my teachings at, at school 20, 20 years ago, learning about this kind of stuff that they, they said, hey, you might never use this in the field, but we're going to teach it to you anyway.
0: It, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's funny you say that because um, as I started getting um, more and more involved um, in plant optimization, um, I, I came to realize that ultimately it's the fundamentals and the equations that we learned in school are the equations that basically define the operation of a plant. Um, I know today, you know, um, we didn't have to get a chance into it, but uh, if you start looking at the, uh, at the heat transfer side and then getting another a fundamental understanding of how, um, Heat exchangers and how heat transfer defines um, a system's operation, and then the relation of flow in uh, there—it's—it's quite interesting. But then you can define it as a mathematical equation, uh, and all of a sudden you say, "Oh, okay, I get it. Now I understand why flow will affect my rate of heat transfer and the performance of my equipment." Um, and that comes into the whole thing about the importance of, of flow, um, and the way pumps work in, in systems in general. Um, they're the defining piece of equipment there, you know, um, velocities, um, how they would affect, I don't know if you remember Reynolds number, No, uh, it, you know, that, that, you know, that's, uh, that, that defines the, uh, um, the, the flow characteristics in a system. And I, I remember one day I'm trying to figure out something and for the life of me, it wasn't coming through. And then all of a sudden I, I was looking at some equations and I was reading an old textbook and I'm going, oh my God, that's what Reynolds number is all about. I go, you know, I was thinking to myself, I was sleeping through this course and it was like, yeah, you, you, you know, and you remember, but it's, it, it the next step is to fully understand it all. And that's where uh, a lot of this comes into play. Um, and, you know, there's a real importance in, in understanding these fundamentals moving forward. Because, uh, uh, you know, this whole thing, um, everybody's seen um, the carbon taxes that are coming in um, and, and the price of, uh, of energy. Now our industry is key uh, into making a lot of significant changes in, in greenhouse gas the emissions and still keeping everybody comfortable warm in the you know in the winter and cool in the summer. Um, but it's coming back down to understanding the math, and when you understand the math, then you understand how to make you know how to optimize systems and optimizing systems. Ultimately drives down the, the the power demands on on uh, on, on our uh, infrastructure here.
1: So. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So, the last question I had for you was something that I've sort of seen arguments or not arguments, but debates, and and I just want to get your take on it. So the the, the debate is is this, and I see. Um, pump versus circulator like i I see a lot of people if if it's in a system and it's circulating water it's not called a pump it's called a circulator but if it pumps like water out of a well into like a bucket or something then it's a pump like i I always thought they both did the exact same thing but i see these debates online all the time about pump versus circulator can you like maybe just hit on that for like a second if, if you can
0: i i to me uh I always look at the circulators as those little guys that are are, are in the in the residential market, um, mm-hmm. and the pumps being the uh, um, the big boys, uh, you know, the big cast iron side of it. But at the end of the day, um, either a pump or a circulator still follows um, the affinity laws in terms of uh, of how they operate. Um, the only difference I would say is that circulators are typically perceived in a closed loop system. Uh, and, and then pumps, if, if people are talking about the big boys, um, pumps in chilled water, they'll still be closed loop, but generally larger pumps are then um, in an open loop system or a system that is, expo- is exposed to the atmosphere. Um, and that would be probably my, my take on the difference, but, uh, um, but in terms of size, the circulators are the little boys and the, and the pumps are the big boys to me.
1: Yeah. I, I, I did ask Tony that I actually asked him after we stopped recording, but I should have asked his take (laughs) while we were recording and, and he, that he said the same thing. It was like, basically in his mind, a circulator is a, a low flow, low, low head, um, little sort of pump that's, that's in a system and. That's kind of like basically what you said yeah it's just moving it around so awesome but yeah okay well Andre that was very insightful and, and I really appreciate this tonight so thank you very much
0: oh you're welcome um, you know if there are any other topics you want to uh, get into I'm more than happy to to participate this is oh, I, uh,
1: I would I would love it man I I, I love absorbing even though even though I'll probably have to listen to this a few times to absorb all of the the, information every time I record a podcast I always listen to it like two three times driving back and forth from work to absorb the the material as as much as I can because it's it's really hard to absorb material as I'm as we're having the conversation you know what I mean because I'm kind of thinking about the next question and what I'm going to ask you next and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure the audience is the same. Sometimes these topics that you're driving to work and you get hit by something, you're like, what, what does that mean? And then you got to rewind and listen to it again. But anyway, uh, I, I really appreciate your time tonight. It was, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, I, my pleasure. You know, I, it, it's funny when you say that, cause I, like, um, like I said in the beginning, um, I've been doing this for 13 years and, uh, um, I started at Armstrong as a regional sales manager. Then I moved as a national sales manager in the U.S. and then I was a business development manager. And now on the U.S. side, now I'm business development on the Canadian side. But uh, every day has been a learning experience for me at this place. And, uh, and And sometimes I go back with, you know, knowing what I know now and thinking of some of the lunch and learns I did at the beginning and thinking, Holy crap, was I ever off on that. And, uh, it's, uh, it takes a while. Um, but I would really have to say over the last three years, a lot of this, the pieces have started coming together and I'm fortunate in that I've got some really good guys that I work with and, uh, I get little nuggets, um, of information. And then I start, I start piecing it together to put the whole, the whole picture of, of what this is all about. Um, and, um, you know, it's, but like I said, in the beginning, it's the, the fundamentals and I, you know, I follow you on Instagram and sometimes I see some of the equipment you're putting out there and you're using and, uh, you know, One day, if you want another interesting topic is the relationship between temperature and pressure, um, Mm -hmm. and latent and sensible heat. And I don't think that's, that's the key to understanding how a a heat pump works is that, you know, you know, when you put something in under pressure, it's properties change and nobody realizes that that those are the variables or, um, you know, uh, for the longest time, people will be talking about ambient ambient temperature, ambient temperature, outdoor ambient temperature. And I was like, um, oh, God, what does that mean? But then, I, you know, it came back to me, like in our system, when we are dissipating energy or heat outside, if it's 100 degrees outside, you can't put 100 degrees into 100 degrees without doing something you know it's it it's understanding those things um um, and how they affect the performance of equipment that gives everybody their understanding so that you know when guys are on the road and they're doing stuff that they can have that aha moment of okay yeah now i know why this is doing it's acting this way so yeah anyway
1: yeah, no, no. I I see what you're saying. I, I've had many aha moments <laughs> during during my career, and and when you have those aha moments and it clicks, it is like yeah. the great. It's like the greatest feeling in the world. I remember when wiring diagrams first clicked for me, it was the greatest feeling in in the world because I had spent so much time with my finger on on the line, following it, reading the legend, following this, following that, and then one day I just picked it up. And it was like, it was like the matrix. It just all like formulated in front of me. And it was just like, boom, it was there. It was, it was the most incredible thing. And and when those things happen, when you're trying to learn something, it feels so good.
0: Oh, you know, like I, my hats are off to you. Cause, uh, um, I'm, I'm not sure, I, I guess, are you in your late thirties or forties or?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in my, um, I'm well, thanks for saying late thirties, but I'm in my early forties at the moment.
0: Uh, oh, okay. Well, so hopefully when, I stay when, there for a while. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, for good, I'm, I'm, I'll be 55 this year. I don't know where it's gone. But uh, like uh, um, my, my son is 26 and he's a service tech at Audi. Uh, that's why the reference to the two-liter uh, two turbo. Yeah. But like what, when we're looking at a car and he starts looking at wiring diagrams and and then you you realize that you you held this person as a loaf of bread at one time, and the shit that they sorry that the, the knowledge no, okay. that they had gleaned, <laughs> uh, it, it it just it it floors me. Like um, whereas I would I would sit there and I'd study the diagram for fifteen twenty minutes. Um, he's got the thing pulled apart already. Yeah, uh, you know. And uh, so when when you get that aha moment, like that's with. That's how I felt when I started really putting all of the math together.
1: All right, guys, that's another one in the books. Andre, thank you very much. Very insightful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you. Welcome back anytime, my man. So the house is still empty. I have a few hours. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do a little video on oil return slash oil failure controls not anything crazy just some general information to help understand that subject a little better and you know what when when i make these videos actually these videos are catching on these whiteboard training videos so i plan to do like a a bunch of them this year when you do a little bit of research and then have to explain what you've learned to other people it really helps you retain that information you can do this in the field with an apprentice or somebody else that you're teaching if you explain it to somebody else it really it really hones your skills of teaching training educating but it also helps you retain that information because now it's in your head right? You've researched it. Now you're relaying it back in your own words and you kind of pick up on your own mistakes when you do so. And you can fix them as you go along by doing a little bit of research. And, and, you know, I just find it's a a really good tool to help you retain information is when you talk out loud and tell other people how it works. Anyway, guys, enough of me. You get back to it. I'm going to get to this video. Happy HVACing. I'm out. Thanks once again to the Master Group for sponsoring the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.